0: Hi, I'm Jason Inman.
1: And I'm Ashley Victoria Robinson, and we are the co-creators and co-writers of Jupiter Jet and Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio. And
0: you're listening to Spoiler Country.
2: Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John, Ann Kenrick, and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country.
3: Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilivert.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, Find Spoiler Country and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us or use the voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. the cult of First and welcome back to sport country i'm johnny horsley and today i've got robert Savinsky from shooting the sith and the Geek he comes talking with me today for the intro outro because kenrick is still out and today on the show we talk well not we but jeff haas to get talks with jason inman and ashley Victoria robinson about their book jupiter jet
2: yeah and i'm i'm really looking forward to this uh jupiter jet seems to be um a really really cool um it, it, if i'm not mistaken it was a kickstarter yep. so um,
3: Really looking forward to to hearing more about it. Yeah. I mean any any comics where these is a jetpack, I'm in for. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, that's why the Mandalorian's
2: so big right now, right?
3: Because of right. jetpacks. So it makes sense. <laughs> it's only the jetpacks. The show's only good because jetpacks. they're on jetpacks, nobody watch it. No one watch it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's kind of cool because I used to watch Jason Immin on DCL Access, you know, and he's been on Good Mythical Morning, and so I, I knew who this was. And when this came in, I was like, oh, cool. every time we get somebody comes in, I recognize their name, I get excited. You know, and Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff, Jeff did a great job on this interview. And so what do you say we just sit back and uh, take a listen?
2: Definitely.
4: Listeners of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have Ashley Robinson and Jason Inman. How are you both?
1: We are doing pretty well, uh, considering the world seems to be on fire. We're here having a good time doing geeky stuff, right, Jason?
0: Yeah, it's still 2023, right?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> What is it's, time? Who knows?
4: <laughs> this has definitely been probably the longest year I think anyone's ever had. <laughs> I agree, I it's, agree. I
1: know, every every day is a, is a year. We're all millennia old at this point. We're turning into, all the ladies are turning into old wizened witches and all the men are turning into trees.
0: I mean, yeah, all the people, <laughs> all these podcasts that you hear talk about, like the MCU, like very quickly, I think, are going to switch to, now the AARP. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, are, you, are you guys Doctor Who fans at all?
1: Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. 100%. Yeah.
0: You
4: know, you always talk about moments in time that are fixed points and you can't do anything about it. I feel like 2020 is one big fixed point that you're just kind of screwed and you just kind of keep away
0: from. I agree. I think like it would be a really, really funny gag if, because we're not going to see a season of Doctor Who in 2020. And it, and it might be a really funny gag for a future episode of Doctor Who to be like, oh, 2020, that's locked to all time travelers. Yeah, it's a void. No one goes there.
4: <laughs> it, it, it does seem like it, it's just, it's been just extremely rough, I think, for, for everybody. And like I said, and I, I, I watch media, you know, recon books, stuff like that. I'm actually at the point now where if someone doesn't wear their mask, even though it's not actually this reality. I find myself very uncomfortable. It's like, wait, where's your freaking mask? This is not real.
1: <laughs> there was a, a very recent episode of Star Trek Lower Decks where a doctor character was wearing a face mask. And I know it was animated early last year, and you don't go back and, and reanimate and add details like that, uh, but I was like, holy shit, that <laughs> alien knows about social distancing. No wonder he's a doctor. It, like, blew my mind. <laughs>
0: well, I will say, like, I'm rewatching a series that came out several years ago. I'm re-watching the sci-fi 12 Monkeys that, of course, is about a plague. Yes. And, And sometimes it gets really rough to watch that show in our current year,
4: (laughs) and and you and you realize that if it was the true future of Twelve Monkeys, uh, I never saw the TV show. I did see the movie. You would realize that. It it, that's what I've heard. I've heard fantastic things about it. But I I just do have the feeling that if that was the real future and what we see nowadays, people would be like, eh, whatever. It was just a hoax this entire time, apparently, and they wouldn't just care. The whole white. I still get to buy buy my hot
0: dogs. Then I don't care. (laughs) Let us
4: let us crumble.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So during this
4: lockdown. How are you guys handling it? Do you feel, does it affect the creativity? Or you stuck together for so long, you're now like, I just need an excuse to get out of the house for a minute.
1: Uh, Well, I will say that I feel very fortunate because I would not rather be stuck with anyone else except Jason and our sweet cat, Brago. So that's been amazing because I feel like all of my single friends broke around week six (laughs) and all the thirsty posts started. So uh, very... Very happy not to count myself among that legion. So shout out to all the uh, single people who are doing it safely out there. I admire you and your courage. Uh, but I think I think generally speaking, we're doing pretty okay. Uh, the creativity definitely lapsed, but I know Jason's been in a real upswing lately, and I'm feeling I, very very jealous. It's so
0: it's so funny because I I don't know, and and I think because we're all trapped at home, or at least myself. Like my job went virtual immediately, and my job is able to. Be you know, I work for CBS and a writers' room, so I'm able to like do do everything uh, through Zoom, and it's it was so weird to go from like an office and seeing everybody every day to immediately only seeing people online, and that definitely affected my creativity at the beginning. And I go in waves; like I'll have like months where I'm really productive, and then I'll have a month where I just can't get anything out. And weirdly, the last couple of weeks I've been in. Full on deluge of just being able to like sit down and type, 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 and it's just all coming out.
4: Well, see, that's the best feeling to have when you actually just feel that flow and you're, when you're in, when you're in that nice groove. That's 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 like the sweet spot that everyone wishes to be in their time
0: as a yeah, writer. Yeah, I, I don't know what. Maybe it was six months of pandemic that made me ha- uh, have to find it. Maybe it was Sci Fi's Twelve Monkeys that unlocked the secret. I don't know.
4: <laughs> well, I, I do think it's it's really interesting to see where the inspiration to write comes from. Not necessarily the ideas but just the feeling of wanting to do it. It it seems like every once in a while you get a spark and you just feel a drive to start writing something down.
0: Uh, You know, it's so interesting. For me, it always comes down to there's something emotional that's driving it. And usually that coalesces into an image or a scene. Like there's some sort of image or scene and i've heard certain writing books call it the motivating moment or the motivating scene it's like your initial kernel and i've always found that that's generally again created by an emotion and and the more you can like tap into that emotion that original emotion that makes you want to write that story the story will flow and every time you don't that's where you'll hit like writer's block or whatever
4: yeah, I mean, I, I, I write not obviously at, at the level that you're writing at right now, but I, I do write from time to time. And I do find the difficulty of writing and getting out of the funk that when you fall into it and the great feeling of satisfaction when you do finally get back into that groove. And it, it, it is, a, there's almost like a drug element to it where it, you do feel a, a, an epic high when it starts coming out right.
0: Yeah, I agree, man. Like when you, every time I hit end of pilot, Oh, it's just like it, it's it's stronger than marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> so so
4: during this time, obviously, we all have some escapism. It What is where are you guys using to escape from now? Let's say
1: one of the great blessings about right now is that RuPaul is releasing <laughs> a truly titanic amount of content. And for me, uh, drag is one of the few things that I can purely be a fan of. Like I don't work in drag. I'm not trying to work in drag. (laughs) I know that all of my opinions are worthless because I've, I've never actually engaged in it in any kind of meaningful (laughs) way, except as a spectator. So that's been a real gift. That's been my version of escapism. Like I'm like, it's, there's a new episode. I have to go. I'll see you later. (laughs) I'm going to watch this right now. And then I'm actually not reading very many new comics that are coming out right now, which I know is sacrilege. The one that I have to check out is Batman The Adventures Continue. Uh, That series is so great. But I've been finding a lot of comfort in diving back into the stuff that made me love comics in the first place. So think a lot of 1990s anything starring Tim Drake has been very my vibe recently. I've been the same.
0: I've been the same best
1: Robin. (laughs) I've
0: dipped back into Dan Juergen's original 1980s Booster Gold. And also I've been going back to Marv Wolfman's original Deathstrokes solo series. And I've been getting a lot of joy out of those books. Yeah, I I think because it reminds you of like the retro old days where you're just like, oh man, done in ones and just (laughs) no content. You just you don't have to worry about remembering the details of Trixie or any of this stuff.
1: Also, no, I, I will say that our, our personal workout game has been, like, on point in yes. we're <laughs> yes, the score. Yes, it has. The fittest this household has ever been right yeah, that
0: now. Is, that is 100% true.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, well, Jason, uh, I know you wrote a very well-received novel called Super Soldiers. Thank which you. discussed the connection between comics and our soldiers. And, why, and I thought to myself, why do you think comics are so important to people? And how are they important to you guys? I know you were talking about escapism with Tim Drake just now, mm-hmm. and you're reading Tim Jorgens, but... In, in the, like, the larger picture, what do you think
0: comics are do, doing for people right now? Comic books, you know, especially superhero comic books, but I'll even include most independent comic books into this answer as well. Comic books are one of the few mediums that almost are very American. They were around, of course, before Superman's first appearance in Action Comics number one. But it is Superman, an American comic book, Action Comics number one, that exploded it all. And I do think that it sort of takes on its own American mythology. And, you know, you look at mythology in the past and it's always about aspiration and, and what you can do with your life and all this stuff like that. I mean, me as a kid, man, I looked at Superman as a moral guide. I really did base a lot of my moral values on like, well, what does Superman think about this weird alien with eight legs? That's trying to eat babies. Oh, he's okay with that person. All right. You know, so like, I think that that's why people tune into comic books. And then, you know, there's always that theory as well that I kind of also agree with that comic books are sort of the extension of writing and drawing on cave walls. And I, I think we feel that in our bones. How about you, Ashley?
1: I think, Jason really nails it with the idea of it being an original American art form. But I also think, and don't tweet me if you disagree with me because I don't (laughs) care. I also think because comics are inherently very good at doing the Shakespeare idea of holding the mirror up to nature. I think that is why comics have always been political. And I think that's why comics have always been in a lot of ways at the forefront of really, really important social issues. We've always had representation in comics. Not always well, but we have always had diverse heroes. And we have always had heroes representing people on the queer spectrum, even all the way back before that was necessarily legal in a bunch of the countries that the consumers lived in. And I think great art is always right on the edge of stuff that is important societally. And I think because comics, in a lot of ways after the golden age kind of flew under the radar, I think that's why it's gotten away with as much as it has. And I think that's why we keep flocking to it because to be completely honest, it's way more flattering to consider an analog for yourself to be Lois Lane than to be <laughs> another broke girl living in LA that you would see on a television show, for example. Or a, a
0: real housewife of some neighborhood.
1: Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, no disrespect. And clearly they're, uh, you know, much richer than we are. So maybe they've got it figured out. But it's more fun to think you're Lois Lane.
4: And I agree completely. I think comic books are inherently political, just like art. I think all art is inherently political. Absolutely, there's nothing. I can't imagine any art artist feeling compassion or any excitement for what they're doing artistically, unless they're in some level expressing their voice on a topic.
1: And it's not even always like the very obvious example that everyone loves to to dredge up, right, of Superman punching Nazis. It can be in a really subtle way too, like who you decide to make the lead of your book and the types of people that you have assisting them and where you choose to have them fail. Because, you know, failure is really important in narrative storytelling. But even if you're not necessarily going out there saying like, I believe uh, that this person should or should not replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the, <laughs> like, it's not always that on the nose. And I, and I think that that's what's really powerful about the media. Well, medium. I
0: think it goes back to that thing I talked about, right? Where, and and you said so excellently, Jeff, the idea that you know, your your initial idea for most art is political. And I think because it all comes back from that emotions because you're either mad or you're happy or you're depressed about something. And that's how the art comes out. And a lot of times that is because you are pushing against whatever it is in the world that you either love, hate or are depressed are about.
4: Yeah, and I agree completely. And as you're talking about Superman and the Nazis – One of the first stories of Superman in action comics was him
0: fighting the slumlords in the area. Oh, my God. I know, I love that issue. I I bring up that issue all the time. Although his plan to save the people are are insane, where he's like, let's knock down the building. Then they have to wait for a year. And then they get to live in a nicer apartment.
1: (laughs) I know, but truly, like, that's kind of how housing works, right?
0: (laughs) In in a lot of ways, if Superman actually acted like that, you'd kind of be like, I wish he was real. Like, I wish Superman would come in here and, like, take care of my really bad landlord. (laughs)
4: Yeah. And, and, and I do think that is always an issue with Superman as a character. You think, you know, if you're Superman, why can't you fix more of our problems? And I think the fact that people are shocked when the stories do go political, I think flummixes me because it is such an inherent part of the stories as well. Just like when I think they had him is an issue where he was protecting illegal immigrants crossing the, the wall. And I think myself, yeah, <laughs> that's Superman. That's what he does.
0: Yeah, there's another early, early action comics issue where he flies to South America because there's a war down there in South America. And I don't know if they say what country it's in.
1: Vague DC allegory country, yeah, probably. I, you
0: know, who knows? <laughs> I don't remember, honestly, but he goes down there specifically because he hears about, like, these indigenous people down there are being, like, massacred by the army, and he goes down there and protects them. And And to me, I'm just like, wow, like there are so much politics in this comic that was written in like 1941. (laughs) Like dear God. Yeah, um, exactly.
4: And I think that's why I think politics and comic books, that's why I'm also very anti the idea of comics. skate. I think they don't understand if if you're that, then you don't understand comic books at all. And, and I think like I said, it's an an inherent part. And for you guys, when you're doing your writing, obviously there's always a risk of alienating some of your readers who obviously disagree with as uh, what they say in politics, everything you say, you lose half your um, you lose half your audience. Is there ever a concern of what you're saying? Or do you feel that saying it itself is important enough, regardless of the of what happens, repercussions of that?
1: Oh well, I'm a lady on the internet, so I've been accused of being everything from a racist to a white genocidist, so like at this point, <laughs> I've got nothing to lose in terms of an audience. But Jason and I always feel very strongly that we make the decisions for the stories first and that goes back to what we were all saying about emotions and so I don't think... I mean, I guess we do have a secret... Someone was asking us recently about secret societies and the implication about a small group of uh, of insiders knowing how to control the. And I'm like, this is a kid's comic.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I would say that we always try to go story first. And our concerns in terms of, like, alienating audiences... It's much more like, well, this is an all-ages book. Maybe we shouldn't murder someone, you know? Maybe the cat should stay alive. It's never like, well, if we have our white kid in our world that's pretending to be in the 30s, be friends with the black kid, that might make people mad. Like, that is who Neil just sprung forth looking the way he was, and so that's what we ran with.
0: To me, it's all tone. It's It's all tone is exactly what Ashley was saying, and a little bit of it is, you know be kind to other humans. That is basically, like, you can boil all of it down, politics aside, everything down to human beings should be nice to other human beings. Human beings should be nice to Earth, the place where we live. You know, like As long as you can distill it down to that, and, and you know, I don't care about alienating people because it's one of those things where you know, we do write a lot of all ages, but we write a lot of comic books about good guys. And essentially, if the moral take of your lead character is morally right, then it who cares? And if you're against that, then, I, you know, it's one of those things where like, well, then I think you need to consider your biases. And I don't know if you should be reading comic books.
4: You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you that with on that 100 percent. And I do think because you do write an all ages comic book. That does give you a great opportunity to change minds or introduce minds to new ideas that they may not have normally have been in conflict with. However, like I said, as you guys probably do it more subtly, maybe than you know, but at the same time, your audience probably needs that.
0: Well, yeah, that's the idea, too, is that. You always need to, and it's a big rule, especially like in screenwriting, that how do you get across the point you want to get across in the furthest, in the fewest amount of words? And that is especially helpful in something like all ages, because, you know, there's the idea of, you know, Jupiter Jet and Jackie and Chuck, they have to pay their rent in volume one. They're like being thrown out the door by a mobster huckster type. And, you know, yeah, could we have done a one page slash Brian Michael Bendis taught level monologues like he used to do in Powers back in the day where Jackie is like telling us about the systems and how ex- every little single thought that she has in her head. Yeah, we could totally do that. But I bet you most kids would glaze over that. Instead, you just be you just have Jackie be like, well, this sucks.
1: Futz. And it gets <laughs> the
0: same point across.
1: Jason is always the one who's cutting down our word count in terms of dialogues. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm like, you, but what if they said more words?
4: <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, you always need one person who, who I guess is the
0: editor of the group.
1: Yes. And on this volume, we were super lucky to have an actual editor. Yes, Brittany Matter. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very, very helpful. It's so helpful to have somebody who uh, can look at it truly from the outside and be like, hey, why this? <laughs> <laughs> and well,
4: I mean, it must have worked whatever you guys did as a team, because if, if I read correctly, Jupiter Jet and Fogonam Radio did r- win a Ringo Award. Is that correct?
1: Uh, that's not correct, but I like that you're speaking that into the future for us. Uh, Jupiter, Maybe next year. Jupiter Jet Volume 1, the first volume was nominated for a Ringo gotcha. Award. It's a Ringo Award losing book, and our sophomore graphic novel Science, The Elements of Dark Energy, is currently nominated for a Ringo Award. We're going to lose to Raina Telgemeier, but I'm happy to lose to her because she's incredible, and then next year, as you said, we will win for Jupiter Jet <laughs> and the Forgotten Radio. Yes. Well.
4: In, in, in the year, we'll, we'll edit it in that I said you guys are a ring award winner, and then we'll be like, hey, I, I knew it ahead of time.
1: There you go. Yeah. And when we win, I will play this clip as our speech because we'll <laughs> be able to go to Baltimore because coronavirus will be under control. Speaking that into existence as well. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so Jupiter Jet and Fountain Radio is being published by Action Labs da- Danger Zone. Why was that the perfect publisher for your Jupiter Jet series?
1: So we're not published by Danger Zone. We're published by Action Lab proper. Action Lab is sort of the YA imprint. Danger Zone is their uh, more mature imprint, which has a lot of really great titles there. But we're we're in the all-ages side of Action Lab. And they're the right publishers for us because we were two untested creators. And they're the ones who said yes. So we're forever grateful that they gave us this first series and that we got our start there.
4: Well, I think the important lesson here is be careful what you read on the internet.
1: <laughs> yeah, truly, no worries. That's not a big deal. <laughs>
4: I honestly, God, did research this, and that's what I came up with. My mistake.
1: That's okay. It's fine. I'm sure. I'm sure. Danger Zone has been tagged in several things about Jupiter Jet.
0: Yeah, and I'm certain that it's it's all good. <laughs> so, where did the idea originally come from for Jupiter Jet?
1: It's really funny. Jason and I, before we could not leave our homes, really liked to go to diners. And so we were having lunch at a diner one day and I said, I have an idea for a comic book. It is called Jupiter Jet. And that's all that I know, which I don't recommend as a way to pitch to your writing partner necessarily. (laughs) But it worked for us, I think. And he immediately was like, oh, she's 16. She has a jetpack and she has red hair and she's a little brother and they have a cat. And came up with a twist for the event that actually happens at the end of volume one, right in that original meeting. And a lot of things that we came up with there, we actually had to port over and save for volume two so that we wouldn't be too, we wouldn't have crammed too much into the first 120 pages. But that is how, that is how she came into this world.
4: So how about, so what, so what did you finally hear Jason that when you, about the pitch that you said, yeah, that's what we're working on now.
0: You know, I don't know, man. I honestly don't know because we, we, you know, we get asked that question a lot and that literally is how it happened. And I think at the time, because we would have been talking about this back in 2014, 2015. And I think at the time I was just like really jonesing to make a comic book and work on a comic book. And so when that happened, that's, I think it just, it opened the volcano of creativity.
1: And we were pitching a bunch of other things at the time, including uh, science, which was picked up around the same time, but we put it off because we wanted to focus on Jupiter Jet first, and that's how it became our sophomore offering. And then a bunch of things that uh, nobody liked, and we will retool someday and make people (laughs) like them. But Jupiter Jet, for whatever reason, maybe it was that frenetic energy that she came into this world with, but that she was the first one to go.
0: She flew out of our brains (laughs) and into the world. Exactly. Exactly.
4: So, as so as a as a married couple, that seems to be is the old rule of thumb would usually be don't work with your spouse. You honestly decided to jump into that pool and work together. How does how did that work as a as a couple? I mean, did, did, were there agree, disagreements? How were they handled? Did it ever come off from the comic book and go into your regular lives? You know that whatever made you annoyed the first time.
1: I don't think any of our un, any of the annoyances or the issues carried for too long. But it's just like collaborating with anyone else except every once in a while you have to say hey or usually it has to be said to me because I'm the emotional one hey we're collaborators right now and that's fine and Jason is my favorite person in the whole world so there's (laughs) no one I would rather collaborate with than him for all the good that comes out of it and I think all the There's way more good things that come out of our partnership than bad. The worst thing that happens about collaborating is when we're supposed to be relaxing and, like, taking a walk in the evening, we'll still be talking about you. That's, that's
0: <laughs> the biggest problem. <laughs> that is the biggest problem. Like, when you're married with your collaborator, a lot of your downtime turns into work time accidentally. <laughs> yeah. You'll just be like, oh, we're out here at the park. But what if in issue three? And you're like, no, we are not working right now. We are enjoying. This is downtime. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you guys ever come out the window? Like for this hour, there is no Jupiter Jet. She does not exist for hours between seven and eight p.m. We try to. We we try to every once in a while to like do like non-work week- weekends where we're like, this weekend it is not. No, we're just going to enjoy like movies. We're going to watch Netflix like normal people. But usually, it always sneaks in there somehow. <laughs> <laughs> is the, is, it usually always does, and,
1: and hopefully that just means it's because we're we're really excited and we're feeling creative. But yeah, there are times where we'll be we'll say something we will be like, I know we're not supposed to talk about this right now, but I ha- I have to say it so that it's out in the world and it's it's over. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so Jupiter Jet and the Fugano Radio is based on the original Jupiter Jet series, like c- published in two thousand seventeen. What what was it about the character that you thought yourselves? we got to come back to this one. Was it always the intention? Did you want to, did did something just click and you said, I missed this character?
0: Well, back in the day when we were making volume one, we always sort of loosely had this idea that Jupiter jet would be a five part series and that every subsequent volume would move her ahead a year of her life. And we kind of, didn't really have any plans about when we would do Jupiter Jet 2 or if that would ever happen. And then we went to a bunch of conventions and at every convention, multiple people would say, when's Jupiter Jet number two? Because I always like to end stories with a little bit of a kernel of being like, well, this is what the next one could be, but you know, maybe we'll never get to it. And we can literally lay this at the hands of the fans that we had so many people ask us about volume two that we got to a point last year where we said if we don't do it now, it'll never happen, and so we we did it. And 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 luckily, like Ben Matsuya was game for another volume, and Taylor Esposito or Letterer was game for another volume, and then you know we had to bring in Mara Carpenter, who
1: no Mara was our original colorist. She was. We, I, we brought... I I was getting to oh, it. I was, I was getting to it.
0: <laughs> Mara was our original colorist, and unfortunately, she has become way more successful, and she's worked on a bunch of different stuff. So we brought in Liz Kramer. So luckily. It wasn't just us. It was when we floated out the idea, and even Action Lab, when we floated the idea of like, hey, we're thinking about doing a second one. Everybody down the bowling pin line was, yep, 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 yep. And that really enthused us to, to make this happen.
4: So as you're saying, every you're, you're growing Jupiter Jet as a character, but you guys as writers obviously are also growing in the interim between volume one and in this new graphic novel. What did you learn about in doing the first one that you brought into creating the second graphic novel? I'd love to hear your
0: answer for this, Ashley.
1: (laughs) I learned that we can do less because, (laughs) and I really, I do hope that when people read this, I hope that they think that this is leaps and bounds ahead of where volume one was, because I really felt at every stage of creating it. And then finally reading the, the, To -to ready-to-print PDF that we have leveled up in a really, really big way since that first volume. And the first volume, just, there's so much. And we do have a very ambitious story here. We're taking on a lot of ideas and a lot of storytelling that we didn't in volume one. We kind of have two parallel narratives that converge again at the end, which is a bigger and more complex thing. So I learned that. As long as we stay true to character wants and needs and that everything is in service of that, we can tell a great story with less. And I I don't know how to say that without making it seem like we did less work because that's definitely (laughs) not true. We definitely worked on this longer and harder and better than we did volume one. But I think we learned that less is more. There's the example that I love to throw out is we have a scene where a door closes because somebody falls down some stairs and we spent like an hour arguing about in volume one how does the door <laughs> close and it's like sometimes the door can just close and that's <laughs> good enough because it needs right. the close <laughs> and it doesn't really matter why the door closed so i don't know if jason wants to add anything no i think that's a great answer
4: yeah for i teach at english at um, a high school in rhode island and i find that i think with developing as writers i think you start learning to expand your ideas in a story but at a certain point i think as an adult you learn to shrink it back down to only what's needed And i think that seems like a normal progression of, of writing I, I i seem to think
1: I hope so. <laughs> I yeah. hope we're on the right track. <laughs> the volume three is going to be really great, kids. So hold on to your butts. <laughs> <laughs> and number five will be fantastic. Even more amazing. Yeah, there you go. That's the one that's the one where Netflix is finally going to crack and say, yes, you can have an animated television show.
0: Number five is not even going to be a book. It's going to be some sort of TikTok hologram technology that we don't even know about. Now. Yeah, there you
1: go. But it will, will, exist
0: by that point. <laughs> but it will win the Ringo Award. And that's all that matters. Absolutely. That's, it's going to win an Oscar. I'm going to tell you.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: So for for the listeners who may have not read the first volume and bump into the second, (laughs) those (laughs) bastards, and and, and and bump into the second volume at a store, can they enjoy the second volume having not read the first? Yes.
0: Yes, they can. Because we specifically designed the Jupiter Jet series like the Indiana Jones movies. If you have seen or read Jupiter Jet Volume 1, you will get more out of Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio. But essentially, it's still about a girl and her jetpack flying through space, shooting robots, and fighting the aliens that imprison all the humans on her planet. And all—that all, that is all you need to know. Everything else is just icing on the cake. Little extra details. But there's a slight recap at the very beginning in the story. But I hope that people read this and they're enthused to go back to Volume 1. But again, I, I always... You know, you don't you don't have to know anything about Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the last Ark to enjoy Temple of Doom. And that's what I think is very similar to Forgotten Radio
4: now. But I do want to point out to our listeners, though, that they should not be lazy or cheap by the first volume. God damn it. It's really <laughs> cheap on Comixology. Yeah, it's
1: like $5.99 on Comixology. <laughs> so <laughs> please, please do or even better, buy a hard copy and support your local comic book stores and your local bookstores and help keep them alive.
4: Well, well, for a minute, I'm going to put on my English teacher hat for a minute, and I found when I was reading Jupiter Jet and *Afghan Radio, one thing I found was interesting is the potential symbolism of the idea of the jetpack given to her um, by her father. The idea that it's something that, as I looked at it from the idea that literally her father has her back, even though he's dead, and also the idea of what a jetpack does for the individual, in other words, allows them to fly, reach heights. Was that something you
0: guys were considering when you were Developing the character. The intention of the father. Literally being on her back. Is very baked into this book. So well done. And actually to be honest with you. I th- believe there's a line in the first five pages. That literally kind of reiterates that point. That That, no, that is 100% uh, right on the money.
4: So the other thing that's nice about Jupiter Jet. Is that she does. Inter- seem to be a very normal girl. Even though she does have. You know, the jetpack, she's being introduced as a superhero. The character of Jackie is still what you would think as a normal 17-year-old girl. How important was that as well to make her seem that, like, I'll I'll just use the word normal and put that in quotation. Yeah,
1: yeah. That was really important. And as somebody who was recently a 17-year-old girl, let's go with recently, (laughs) that is something that we do take great pains considering. And I think that's because we've moved to this point in terms of literature where an ubermensch type character is maybe not necessarily as aspirational as somebody who behaves like you or who looks like you or who shares characteristics with you. And then it's a great contrast to have the infallible, you know, leader of a Planet wide resistance against like a bratty girl who still gets mad at her uncle for trying to tell her what to do. Like writing the contrast in that can be very fun as well. But Jason will sometimes, because in this volume, Jason actually wrote a lot more of the Jackie stuff and or, or sort of spearheaded that. And, and I wrote a lot more of the Chuck stuff, the little brother stuff. So gender's a construct man, whatever. But there were moments where Jason would call me in and say, Can you read this? Like, does this seem like a 17-year-old girl would act this way? And I will say that I do very much appreciate that because authenticity is really important
0: well i think it's the same as like you know watching any kind of good science fiction movie you want to identify with the characters and if you don't identify with the characters then i feel the story doesn't track and that is a big reason why jackie will always sound like her age because we want people boys and girls to identify with her
4: and I think that scene at the in the kitchen at the dining table when they're interacting, especially Chuck and Jackie, I think that was a great way, almost shorthand, to express all of
0: that in within a, um, a page or two. Thank you. The pie scene is one of my favorite scenes. And also, I love it, too, because
1: we got pie jokes all over this series. Y- well, well
0: <laughs> it is our intention because like, that's a volume one gag that we brought back that like Jackie and Chuck love pie. And to be honest with you, I'm looking forward to three more pie jokes in the Jupiter Jet franchise.
1: It's also <laughs> funny because this is not Jawan HQ is not a a pie household. We're not very pro pie here. So I think it's really funny that that has trickled into the narrative.
4: <laughs> so so as, as you were saying, so it, I, I found it fascinating that it was actually Jason who wrote a lot of the Jackie scenes. So where did you find the voice of a 17 year old girl, man? Look. I I,
0: actually did say this earlier, I think as a joke, but I do think it is true that gender is a construct and there it's inter that I'm going to making sure I'm not going to step into like a minefield here or a deep, deep hole. So please correct me at any moment, Ashley. But I feel for me, we all have these weird relationships with people that we look up to. And a lot of Jackie's character is built into this relationship of, her parents who are no longer in her life. And I think that we all everybody man men or women can really pull into that and access that. And that's kind of the way I looked at it. I've had very contentious relationships with with both of my parents and that is where I drew into that. Like I thought about where I was when I was 17 or 18 even though I w- I, I I was a man, there was a lot of similar feelings there. And that and that's another thing that we also love about stories is that We're, you know, we we look for universal things of family and growing up and stuff like that. The bigger problem I had with writing a 17 year old girl was actually the age and thinking about how would a 17 year old act at this moment, not fully adult me, because it's a very easy trick to slip into to write her as an adult, confident, awesome superhero. But that's not who she is.
1: Yeah, that's actually a problem that we have with Chuck a lot, too, because he is our genius character. And he's only 11. Yeah. So that's he can get real talky and take over scenes, and then we have to walk him back and just have him stub his toe sometimes.
0: <laughs> so, I mean,
4: it's obviously a sign of a, of a great... Great writers are supposed to be able to find voices beyond their own, which is obviously what you guys both did with both Chuck and Jackie. Now, were there... Inst- real people that you drew in the ins- inspiration from a- for the personalities or does this did it draw completely from your own imaginations
0: so i say this a lot and ashley doesn't believe me when i write young jackie i'm writing who i think ashley was when she was 17.
1: <laughs> is that a compliment so much nicer than i ever was when i was 17. <laughs> that is a compliment my 17 year old self does not deserve <laughs> um And for me, like with Chuck, Chuck is the little brother I wish I had. It's like he's for me, he's a very idealized version of like what a little brother should be, which probably speaks a lot to my relationship with my younger brother. (laughs)
0: Because he's very (laughs) cantankerous. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, but he will do anything for Jackie. That's fair. You know, and they do fight and they do they do come to loggerheads from, from time to time. But he's a good boy, damn it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, I think it's interesting. The character of Jupiter's, uh, Jupiter's uncle in the story describes Jackie as being awe-inspiring. Do you agree that her, that her character actually is, I mean, not only within the realm of the story, obviously, but which I assume that she is, but from what you've heard from readers outside?
0: Yes. We've actually heard from a lot of readers outside, especially like one little girl who we met in Arizona named Aspen, who is the first Jupiter Jet cosplayer we've ever seen. We saw her was three years ago, four years ago, three years, ago, three years ago when she came to our table and she loves Jackie. And because and, and again, part of that is what we baked into the character. It's It's hard not to look at any flying character as sort of this person that is telling you go slash fly after your dreams. And that's a lot of what Jupiter jet is. A lot of Jupiter jet is just go for it. And so we have heard that and it's always very awe inspiring. And, and, you know, as any writer would tell you, it's also very like, Oh, you like this thing that I wrote? Well, okay, cool.
1: I'll just say (laughs) this. I mean, based on where we know she's going to end up because Jason and I know what the final scene of the series is going to be. She better be. (laughs) 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 Well, we haven't earned it.
4: (laughs) I mean, that must have been a great sensation when you guys saw someone in cosplay for your character. That must have been like, we arrived, we made it. This is a, a sign of pure love. I mean, when someone does cosplay.
1: Yeah, I tried not to cry mostly because that's my go-to emotional reaction. I'm like, <laughs> I can't cry in front of this child.
4: <laughs> that, that is awesome. I wonder what the child would have thought about that since suddenly seeing the author just ball into tears be like what's wrong with my costume
1: she <laughs> probably would have been like what's wrong with you i'd be like nothing aspen i have dirt in my eye it's arizona there's no moisture here
4: <laughs> all, all, all writers are emotionally damaged that's just
1: <laughs> no you're you're not wrong all creatives are because we get we have a little bit of a look at me in us you know what i mean <laughs>
4: that, that, that is true there's a certain autism, there's a
0: certain narcissism to creativity isn't there
1: yeah because you have to believe that what you're creating is <laughs> <laughs> well, you, have
0: to, <laughs> you have to believe that whatever you're putting out into the world, song, book, whatever, performance, is worthy enough that somebody else is gonna be like, Yeah, I like that. I'm gonna give you money for Yeah, that. And, that, <laughs> and, and, and and there isn't no, there is arrogance to that belief.
4: <laughs> I, I agree 100%. I mean, like I said, there's something, like I said, the, the little writing that I do to think whatever my thoughts are are so valuable, someone else must hear them. <laughs> you must hear my thoughts. You don't understand how important they are. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a little bit, you know, like it's more for, like you know, for us, it's like the idea that, like, yeah, my characters are so interesting, you're gonna love them.
4: Let's <laughs> <Must laughs> well, worship I mean,
0: our characters. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, like I said, I mean, Jupiter Jet though is a fascinating character, and and like I said, I really did enjoy reading the graphic novel Jupiter Jet of Gun and Radio, and obviously, I mean, even though I'm definitely not probably the audience you have in mind when you're um, writing it, and so still was a very engrossing story, and I think that was very important for it.
1: So do, I will say we probably do have, like, uh, a shockingly large uh, adult male audience because that's our audience from, like, other things that we do. So I, I'm always really thrilled when people send us pictures of actual children. <laughs> <making the laughs> I'm like, please send me this. This is all I want. We also,
0: <laughs> we also like, when we built the book, because when sometimes when you say all ages, some adults are like,
1: ugh. That's kid stuff. Uh,
0: it's gonna talk down to me. It's gonna make poop jokes. <laughs> Ugh, I don't want to read it. And we were in, we were from the very beginning wanted to think about the Pixar model because every Pixar movie is an all ages movie. An eight year old or a five year old can see a Pixar movie, but adults also pay movie money. That's a ticket everybody to watch. <laughs> I, I realized once I said it that I might people might be like, what's movie money anyways um, they, they buy tickets to go see Pixar movies and so from the very beginning we were like this is a book that if you're five years old you're gonna get this out of it. but if you're an adult it's definitely not gonna talk down to you and you're gonna get this out of it. So so the, the fact that you you enjoyed it and didn't didn't like throw it away and be like this is for babies is, 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 is a high compliment.
4: So what is the secret to doing that, though? I mean, to do you just write it and you maybe or take a second look at it and go, well, maybe we'll take out this to make it more all ages. Is there something that you're intentionally doing to ensure that it works
0: on both le- levels? You know what a really good metric I found for that is, is to go read what were the popular superhero comic books of the early. 90s from either dc or marvel like go see what they were doing in superman or batman or wonder woman because back then it wasn't about murderous evil spiky characters from other dimensions who are going to like eat you in your sleep and chew apart your bones (laughs) it was literally the penguins gonna rob a bank let's go get them and the worst thing that happened to batman was his back got broken he, yeah, You know, he, I mean, that's pretty bad, to be fair. I mean, yeah, but, yeah, that's it pretty is. Bad, but yeah. compared to Tim Drake's dad being shot right in front of him, that's a, you know, it's a, there's a scale there. Like you can recover from a broken back. You can't really recover from your dad being shot. But, you know, so and also a lot of another thing that we u- really used very well is back in the day when there were all these animated series of every one of those comic books, they all made these titles called Adventures. Like there was X-Men Adventures, there was Spider-Man Adventures, there was Batman Adventures, there was Superman Adventures, there was Just League Adventures. And those were really good. Those are actually really great comic books. They're really great, like done in ones. They're perfect for kids, but a lot of them don't talk down to adults. And if you look at that, and then you compare your story, and it is a tie rope, but a lot of times is as long as you make sure that you're telling a solid story that has no silly elements in it or two, you know, and you got to think about like, for me, it's always like if I saw this in a movie or I saw this in a story with this bump me and if the answer is no, then I leave it in. But the other side of that is, is that and I'll tell this story from volume one, there's a very important scene in Jupiter Jet volume one where their original home, the repair shop gets burned down by the villain in issue three. And originally, when we were writing it, I said to Ashley and I said, to Ashley, I was like, we have to have they have to Jupiter Jet's got to lose something. I don't know what it is, but she's got to lose something. And when you're writing stuff like that, you know, you throw out every pitch and you see what sticks. And w- we had the, you know, their home burns down. But I also throw out throughout. Should we kill their cat? Because that would make the audience really remember this villain. Because we have made the cat a character in the first book. And luckily, Ashley pulled me back and was like, no, 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 no. this is all ages. Killing the cat will ruin our entire audience. And, and so, and she was 100% right on that.
4: There's definitely something, I think the universal truth is, kill the humans, not the pets.
1: <laughs>
4: yeah. Unless you're John Wick. Right, exactly. <laughs> There's something to be said, You, you can, readers seem to be able to tolerate almost anything, but you kill a cat, kill a dog, they're done.
1: Because they're innocent. They don't need to be punished. The people need to be punished. Please don't come for my cat. (laughs)
4: 100% true. And I I think it's also important to point out that I think undeniably the 90s cartoons were the very best, especially the first half of the 90s. I think that should be just held as a truth.
1: I'll, I'll co-sign that for sure. <laughs> we watched all
4: of Gargoyles in quarantine. <laughs> oh, that that is such a great show. I, I love that show so much. And the, the voice actors on that show are tremendous. Jonathan Franks, Michael Dorn shows up. Oh, you, you, mean,
1: you mean uh Star Trek TNG, the animated series.
4: But it was it was so genius. And like the Batman animated series holds up to this day. And even as an adult. It's timeless. Yeah, I mean, it works on an adult level so well. It's almost unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it's and, and see that's an interesting thing, and in that that you're you're correct. Like you mentioned, Gargoyles, man, like Gargoyles is a very dark cartoon, but I don't think anybody would say it wasn't for children.
4: Yeah, I mean, once again, though, you're talking about layers, and I, I guarantee, as an adult going back and having watched them again, there's probably where a lot of things that I missed as an adult I watched again and go, oh crap, they didn't. You know, I can't believe they did that.
0: Well, another scary thing too is that most people consider most entertainment for children to be silly and goofy, but a lot of people forget that Disney released a movie where we killed Bambi's mom from a gunshot in the first 10 minutes, like way back in the (laughs) sixties. So it's like children can handle that stuff. Like there's children's, a child's world does not have death, or it does have death in it. A child's world has sickness in it. A child's world has heartache in it. It's, it, it's, it's all about how you present it. And and imagining that a young person's world doesn't have that type of stuff in it is just naive, to be honest.
4: I, I will say, in all honesty... I still have not quite recovered from, um, from Neverending Stories: Death of the Horse. That that that, that was still oh, I think it was Artex's Artex, name. of the Horse. Yeah. Yes, that, still <laughs> I am not recovered from that. I still somewhere in my heart it, it, there's there's a, heart, there's a darkness there because of that scene.
1: <laughs> Look, we all have those things that scarred us as tiny humans, and hopefully somebody was scarred by Jupiter Jet. <laughs> <laughs>
4: that, that that should be the, the right in quotes right on top of your book. I hope someone has been scarred by this.
1: I know what we're going to put on volume three.
4: <laughs> uh one of a great line from um jupiter jet for radio is the, the line even the finest sword plunged into salt water will eventually rust is that where, where do you get that saying from
1: hey good job jason that is a proverb i believe that we were looking for it's s-
0: from the art of war a, a touch stone oh, yeah, yeah yeah it's on Tzu. because
1: i mean you know, Jackie and the 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 citizens of the city—they're humans and they're not humans. And so we try to be very specific about the references that we give them, and that goes down to like their language too. Well, that came a little bit. I,
0: I, oh, we were inspired to do that because this is a, the Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten raid is a little bit about Jackie and Jupiter Jet taking on a little bit of a more adult job and wanting to like go out and fight. And so I was very interested in finding a quote that would speak to this battle. And, you know, of course, a lot of the quotes about war are, are, you know, not very tame,
1: uh, uh, <laughs> or, or attributed to Sun Tzu. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and,
0: and this was the one that I thought just really, really connected with the story. And also, like I felt it was very important that the first character that says it in this book, of course, is our is our Asian leader, Clara.
4: now, for as far as the character, how does that connect directly to Jupiter? is I mean, is, is she impetuous? how is how is she in danger of being? Eventually, I say, quote, uh, rust, rusted.
1: So the one of the big, like, ethos that drives volume two forward, in my opinion, is her idea of figuring out how to be tempered. And so this quote is literally about tempering steel. And if your sword is not tempered accurately, it's it's useless. It's just a piece of metal. And that's what she really has to learn. She actually starts out this volume quite extreme and has to learn in order to be a good leader, in order to achieve the things she wants, and in order to unravel some of the mysteries that we're setting up this volume that will pay off in volume three, four, and five, she's going to have to take a step back and consider things a little bit more carefully. And and she's 17 now, you know, she's on the brink of becoming an adult, and that is sort of the last lesson that you learn when you're becoming an adult as well, that and how hard taxes are. Well,
0: (laughs) yeah, and I I also, like, Took For for myself, I took a part of that quote as very literal, that she is very much about going out into space and fighting her villains, the Praetors. But if you wanted to fight the ocean, plunging a sword into the ocean and just wiggling it around is not going to do much. It's going to accomplish nothing. And to me, that's very much how I saw Jupiter Jet in this volume is that she is so she's going to just dive right in, but she's going to accomplish nothing unless she like makes a plan and thinks about it.
4: I, 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 when I, I do like about the story, it does seem to be a lot about the idea of growth. As I think you guys mentioned the fact that she's 17, about to become an adult, and she's dealing with some real adult issues. And I think one interesting thing, and if I understand it correctly, the people on Europa still think they're living on Earth. Jupiter does know, know this, and that's a pretty big secret for her to hold on to. I mean, that's a pretty adult thing to make a decision on.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And that's the big twist of the first volume is that she discovers that her 1935 reality is on Earth is not real and that she's secretly like in a sort of prison colony on Europa. And it is the thing, and that is a big debate in this book because there are members, and she joins the secret resistance called the Children of Gaia in the first volume, and and one year later she's part of that resistance, and it's a big debate between many members of this group of is it more important should we tell the people or is it more important to leave them in ignorance? And hopefully, if we did my job right, if we if we did our job right, that you know you're, you you kind of don't know which side of the issue. You should go on. We definitely tell you which side of the issue Jupiter, uh, Jupiter Jet, falls on.
4: Yeah, I mean, is, is that understanding? I mean, to be in on that secret and to withhold that, I mean, that is a that is a big decision for a 17-year-old to make. Is she ready to be in a position to make that decision, do you think? By the end of this
0: book, I say yes.
1: Yes, I would say by the end of this volume, she's worthy of it. But those, it's also a full circle idea from when you're a very little child particularly if you had my parents, you hear a lot of things like, uh, we'll tell you when you're older. And those moments never come. Like, they're not like, <laughs> okay, uh, daughter, you're 16 now or whatever it is. It's I'm going to tell you all the things that you asked me about when you were five, you know, they'll sort of get like parsed out over the course of your life. And so she's coming full circle to being that person who will someday say, well, I'll tell you when you're older.
4: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think that was fantastic. And without giving anything away, you do introduce another character that forces her to also grow in a very particular way. How How is that going to affect Jackie going forward?
0: It's going to give this new character that is very important to Volume 2, which readers, of course, will discover when they read the book, will give Jackie a new signpost, a, a new guidance of what to do in terms of right and wrong going forward. Because – This character is very similar to Jackie in a lot of ways and, of course, is older and has made a lot of decisions about where they took their life. And Jackie is going to forever now, going forward into Volume 3, going to probably judge her life based on this brand new character, which I'm very excited for readers to meet.
4: Do, Do you think there's a point in all our lives where we stop looking for to others for not not let's say advice, but someone to like a role model and start looking to ourselves. And is Jackie at that moment where she's going to start looking instead inwardly
0: instead of outwardly? For me, Jackie's not quite there yet. I know personally, like in my life, I am. I, I don't know if I have anybody that I'm judging my life on again. I think that is very much a young person's game. But I would say in volume two, that is something that Jackie is not really she's not that internal or independent enough yet
1: i I think it'll probably take until maybe the end of four or the beginning of volume five because she'll be 20 by that point like she will be a full-blown adult woman of the galaxy and by that point i'm sure she will have accrued enough knowledge and defeated enough villains that she can (laughs) look somewhere other than herself but it's it's also interesting because you do stop looking to other people as you mature but then if you partner up or if you have a family, like you are, you are considering other people's opinions, but in a different way, not so much in a, in a way that you're looking for direction. And that's something that I'm really interested to explore with her as she matures as well.
4: Now, Chuck is the, as as he stated himself, is the sidekick. Is he looking at Jackie that way as someone to, to
0: make their own, at least to grow and look up to? 100%. And it's interesting because Chuck up until this point as the sidekick has, you know, as much as he is cantankerous towards her in terms of like being a sibling, but he's always looked up to her and like a lot of young kids do to their, your, their older siblings, like they idolize them. And in the forgotten radio, it's kind of the first time that Chuck has experienced any kind of disappointment. With her, And that is what leads Chuck, especially into a big growth moment going into three, is that Chuck is for the first time um, going to be like, oh, maybe like we all do with our parents, maybe she doesn't have all the answers.
4: Is, is there anything to be said? The fact that Chuck is at this in the story turns into Saturn Scout and goes out on his own for a little bit. How much of a growth is that of, a, of his character?
1: I think by the end of the second volume, readers are going to see a big change in Chuck and a lot of growth. Uh, In book one, book one is really Jackie's story, and he is, in a lot of ways, he's an accessory to what is going on with her. He becomes much more of a real person here, and I think we're getting a glimpse of what he's going to look like. Again, Jason and I know what's going to happen to him, and we know where he's going to be at the end, and we're getting the first little glimpses of that.
4: Is, is it foolish for him to try to be Undersco? I mean, you, you you'd wonder you would worry that some of the uh, like the uncle when I would be like, What the hell are you doing there, pal? You're not quite old enough to running around in
1: costume trying to play crime. So first and foremost, it's ridiculous for anyone to be a superhero. Don't do it. I also just don't know if Gabriel at this point is just so like Goddamn tired. Like he did the whole resistance hero thing with his brother and their and Rosa and their and uh, their wives when they were young folk. I just don't know if he has the energy to tell Chuck not to do it anymore. <laughs> For
0: me, I see it more as the idea that even though it's not 1936 where they are, they very much exist in a 1936 world. And at that time, for a 16 year old to like be on their own is not unheard of. And also for a 16 year old to be responsible for a, like an 11 year old is not unheard of. And that's kind of what I see it as. I mean, there were there were stories of 15 year olds running away to World War I.
1: My uh, my grandfather in the 40s ran away to World War II. Exactly. So <laughs> I was fifteen, and, and and so back in that time
0: people were a little bit more adult a lot younger. And that's kind of the way I see Chuck is that I know he's 11 and yes, you know, this is like any good fiction. We're stretching it a bit, but, but he is acting more adult because that is the retro world that he is living in. I mean, if we were in the, on the old West, Chuck would be a farmer by now.
1: He'd be married. (laughs) He'd have children. (laughs) (laughs) And
4: and for, for Simon Scout, I must have, as you said, and we all can agree, the very best Robin is Tim Drake correct sorry i heard tim drake again i don't know
1: okay
4: but so obviously tim drake is the genius de- detective robin version is that there's a is there a little bit of that inside in a uh, saturn scout
1: that's really interesting. I would not have said that. I would have 100% said um, that. Because Tim <laughs> and is I a, know
0: that Dick Grayson's Tim the greatest is a, Robin. Tim
1: is a good boy, <laughs> and Chuck is a piece of work. But the the child genius or the child prodigy archetype, it's just one that I love so much, which I think is why it's an inevitability in all of our, my comics so far. Uh, also, Dead Dads is apparently also an inevitability in my comics <laughs> so far. But uh, I will say this, though. I mean, particularly right now, like Tim could definitely take Chuck, but I think Chuck could make him laugh. So maybe he wouldn't hit him too hard.
4: <laughs> well, that's the important thing, right? I mean, I think right, right, right. Tim, Tim Drake would understand. You know what? He's doing his best. Don't don't hit the kid. <laughs> you know what? He's
1: actually 11. And I wasn't Robin until I was like 12. So, okay, this will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and so
4: Chuck also deals with his very first supervillain and a character called Squeak, who is a little bit of a Catwoman in, in Squeak, I'm assuming.
1: Oh, for sure. Definitely that like OG purple dress. Uh, I was very inspired. We made her a mouse. She is, I don't know if we'll ever see her again. That remains to be seen. I can seen. confirm
0: right now. We will see her again. Um,
1: <laughs> that but kind of I, that's exclusive. That's an exclusive for Sunny, yeah. Country. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what I was going to say about it. But, oh, but I, I didn't know if we were going to see her again, but uh, apparently we are. And I think she's one of my like favorite sort of side characters that we've created. I think she's a lot of fun and Uh, Writing her interactions with Chuck was a real joy for me. Yeah, I
4: mean, there's definitely some scenes there where I get the sense that Chuck is interested in her.
0: Well, like any 11 year old boy, you see a buxom femme fatale. It's going to be hard not to. You know, have some thoughts creep in, young chum. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs>
1: Look, and, and they they have quite an encounter.
0: <laughs> Remember, yeah, yeah. if he was in the old west, he'd be a farmer They'd right now.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, like I said, I, I hopefully, uh, Squeak does show up again. At least like I did enjoy their interaction. Once, once again, you, you had that sense of, almost, you know, the first sense of Chuck being the adult moment. For you know, in his head, we were like, everyone has that. Every kid has that moment when in when they're kids and there's someone they see usually in a movie. You're like you know, the first interest, you know, female interest or opposite opposite sex interest.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, and you nailed it, too, when you said Catwoman earlier, like we were very inspired by, especially since Jackie was going to spend a lot of her time in space. A lot of volume one of about this like old golden age kind of silver age, pulpy comics feel and so right right from the get go we were we were like we have to make a villain to give chuck like that adventure like chuck gets the adventure that jackie had in, in volume one and that's where squeak all came from so i'm glad that the feelings of unclean thoughts have uh, appeared <laughs>
4: <laughs> and i also think it's cool that you did change scenery in a without well, giving too much to a in a place called justice that is that's sort of like an Old West themes as well. How fun was it to dive into the Old West?
0: I love Westerns. And I kind of said before we even started writing that I really wanted to see Jupiter Jet in a duster and a cowboy hat, um, riding a horse type thing. And, <laughs> uh, and it was my goal to, uh, have that in the thing. And so, yeah, there's a big part, there's a very big, Western feel in Jupiter Jet and the Forgotten Radio. And I think it's like one of the coolest parts of the book. Her like sort of little, her little weird Western. It, you know, it's it just reminded me, even though we're publishing this whole volume into, you know, one graphic novel, one complete story that like, if you were reading this monthly, that would be the issue where you'd be like, man, I never expected this comic book to take that turn.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm also almost amazed that the Westerns have not returned to.
0: I think they status. will.
4: I I, I would hope so. I mean, some of the best movies were like Tombstone from the 90s. That was one of the best Westerns I've ever watched. That was a fantastic movie. I can't believe they don't bring them
0: back more. Well, media is cyclical. So Westerns were really huge because they were cheap to film. And I kind of do think Westerns will come back. I really do. I kind of think whenever superheroes finally quiet down, I actually really think Westerns are going to replace them because they're very similar story types. I
4: mean... And it's, I think the melding of comic books and Westerns is something that you think which also would happen more often because it's two I, iconic Americana moments is both comic books and our old excitement with the old West TV shows and history and all that. They seem like they're perfectly melded together.
0: They are. And they're very similar in the way that like Western tales are very American. It's Western. The Western is almost another American myth that is very similar to superhero comic books.
4: A myth as far as once you actually know the history of it all, so much bullshit comes out, unfortunately.
0: Well, of course, yes.
4: <laughs> but So, once again, I think the whole graphic novel, I think, was um, extremely well done. And I think, after talking to you two, I can definitely see your personalities come out in that graphic
0: novel. Oh, has the whole book been explained and ruined (laughs) now?
4: (laughs) Um, uh, uh, I mean, uh, can, can you guys, when you guys go back, can you see or feel the moments that are your voices, particular voice coming out or or have they been so blended that does feel like a combination of both of you?
1: Ooh, uh, I don't think I have a very good, Sense of that and part of that is because I know who wrote which parts or who did like the most heavy lifting because we do go over and do final edits together and I really know like oh this scene was like came together because of Jace or this scene really came together because of me so i don't i don't think i go into it i think i'm maybe too close to it i'm not not smart enough to be able to read it like that
4: <laughs> no th- there's no words when scholars look at, back at this book years from now they'll be able to figure it out no for, for you guys <laughs> oh i can't
1: wait to read their papers it's gonna be great <laughs>
4: <laughs> so the oscar-winning jupiter jet
2: yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and and obviously ringo award winner retroactively it's fair enough that since i just made it happen since i said it anyways So what can readers look forward to in the next volumes of Jupiter Jet?
1: Villain returning that we've already met. Relationships starting. More planets that we name after stuff that maybe we'll talk about on a podcast. (laughs) Definitely more Saturn Scout and definitely the continuing evolution of not only Jackie as a character, but Jupiter Jet's costume.
0: Yeah, uh, we we love the model that every time you meet Jupiter Jet, her costume is going to slightly change. So that's definitely an important thing. But it's it's going to be the next step in her evolution. And a big part of that is going to be that volume three is basically going to be her Batman and Robin adventure because she finally has a Robin and she's been solo for two volumes. And how does that work? And will that Robin listen to her?
1: Or is he going to be Jason Todd? (laughs) Oh,
4: better not be Jason. Or Damian Wayne, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I think there was a two-year gap between that with the end of volume one and the creation of uh, publishing of volume two. Are we looking at a similar gap between two and three?
1: That's a tough question because a lot of that comes down to uh, our publisher. So when you work with a publisher, you have to work on their schedule. They decide when the book comes out. So it would be my dearest hope that that is not the case, but I will say there was a two year gap. We published a different book in between. So we were we weren't sitting on our hands doing nothing, but at the, at this point we are we're very much at the we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All
4: right, well fantastic guys. Like I said I, I look forward to seeing volume 3 and I hope our readers give not readers uh, sorry listeners sorry unless you're reading the transcript which then you're readers i hope our listeners do read volume two jupiter jet and the forgotten radio it was a fantastic read even as for adults i think there's a lot to get out of it and thank you guys so much
0: for stopping by you guys were fantastic thank you so much for having us on and also um so glad you enjoyed the book thank you for the the the, the awesome praise you gave us
4: it, well, it was let well I, I think it was a beautifully constructed I enjoyed the tonal shifts in between the space adventures, the old West scenes, the 1930s um, kind of old school superhero scenes. It was a,
0: a, a great melding. Well, just wait. Volume three is going to be like 1950s something. I don't know. <laughs> is it? I, it is now. It is now. What's <laughs> your well, exclusive <laughs> with the return of squeak. Yes. The return of
4: squeak. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, then, once again, thank you guys. When volume three comes out, I do hope you guys stop by again. Would love to. Oh
1: man, twist our arm, (laughs) (laughs) our shared arm, our singular arm.
2: (laughs) And we're back, man. What'd you think, dude? It was awesome. I. Here's the thing there wasn't a moment that I didn't enjoy. And this is one that I can definitely go back and listen to again. There's nice. so much information in that. And uh, yeah, man, I like, come on. <laughs> like, like, like he said, like he said beforehand, jet packs, man, jet packs.
3: Yeah. <laughs> no, and you know what my very part was, is and this, this was cut out of the interview. This isn't in, like the, the post talk stuff, but like, uh, but I'll drop it for everybody to you know uh, they thanked Jeff for asking questions that they don't normally get asked a billion times in interviews. So like, I think that's one of the strengths of our show here is that when we have interviews, we, we don't just ask the normal cookie cutter questions. We ask questions that are you know, insightful or make you not make you think, but that we try to ask questions that not everybody's going to ask the same person over and over again. So Jeff, did, did, as always, did a great job asking questions that not everybody asks. And uh, it, it shows through in the excitement that the people we're interviewing have on the interview.
2: Uh, I mean, that's, that goes hand-in-hand hand with, with everything that Spoiler Country does. I mean, it, you know, I, and it's nice when it gets recognized. You know, we all work so hard in trying to make this a different type of podcast and uh, different stand out from everybody else. So it's awesome whenever it's recognized. So, yeah, that is a really cool little uh, inside baseball there that
3: yeah. we just found out. <laughs> and, and, and and for sure, we got, we, we got similar feedback to the last interview you did for Spoiler Country, too, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. So – you know, yeah, I, I, th- I think that's a show, man. I think people listen to Jupiter Jet and, and uh, heard all about it and listen to Jason and Ashley and Jeff and listen to our dumb voices talk about it, too. So I think that if everybody out there listening to this likes what they heard, they need to go to Spoilerverse.com and check out all the back issues of Spoil Country and check out other shows like 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 Robert's. Robert, why don't you tell everybody what your show's about?
2: Uh, well, first off, shooting the Sith is what I like to call the spoiler versus premiere Star Wars show. Uh, it's all about Star Wars. Anything going on in the Star Wars world, you'll hear it there. Bridging the Geekdoms is kind of a news-slash-rumor-centric show, uh, as well as talking to fans within all of pop culture and geekdom, whether you're a cosplayer, podcaster, YouTuber, whatever it is. I want you guys on the show. We can talk geek as much as we want. Uh, and that's the point of the show, is just to... to Bridge geekdoms to celebrate pop culture as much as possible, uh, and yeah, so you can check out those shows and find them on YouTube um, and podcatcher apps.
3: Yeah, anywhere. <laughs> and, and Robert, you also have a big hand in the articles that I always talk about on the site as well, don't you? Uh
2: yeah, I, I try and, <laughs> and do the best <laughs> I can and, and getting a lot of articles You're out so on the humble, site. Man. Trying to get it. Yeah, we're trying to get a get a. Uh, um, a good basis on the website with, with articles and editorials and such. And yeah, I do have a, a big hand in that.
3: And it's great. So, but definitely go to Swifters.com, Check out everything we just talked about, go to the articles and for God's sakes, leave a comment or two on there because Robert needs comments. He needs some loving. And, uh, you know, once you do that, go to the store link and buy something, buy a, buy a, a, a t-shirt or buy his podcast or whatever, buy one of them. Because no matter which one you buy, it helps support the site, helps support the creators in the site, which is going to be, which is awesome. And lastly, the last thing I want to ask you to do is go to scpod.us/discord and join our public Discord server. Where you can come chat with Robert and I and everybody else in the and other listeners, listeners out there, that, or people who read the site. Because it's open for all, and we have good conversations there, talking about everything from, you know, comic books to movies to TV shows to anime to cars to computers to the Snyderverse, which is a very, very. uh, Hmm, how, would I say, how would I say this? A very decisive topic on the Snyderverse, because you have people who love it, like Robert, and people who opposite, opposite love it. <laughs> opposite, <laughs> though, would that be hate? I don't want <laughs> to no, a strong word. <laughs> no, there's a lot of good discussion,
2: though, yeah. with the Snyderverse. And, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, despite everything with uh, COVID going on in the world, there's a lot of stuff in Hollywood that, while it's been pushed back, uh, there's still a lot of information that's been dropping the last few months, and it's exciting yeah. to talk about it with everybody. And Discord's a great place to do that.
3: Yep, yeah, it's exciting no matter what side of the fence you're drop because it's it's new content for, for comic folks. And yeah, Discord's a great place. I love Discord. So come and join us, scpod.us/discord. Join us there. It's free. We won't charge you to be in there. It's cool. It's cool. And uh, lastly, Robert, we got to do our, our our Cthulhu outro. You ready for this? Oh uh, yeah, go for it. In the notions of Podcasts. Ah, oh, crap, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew I was going to catch you off guard. You know, all you have to say is, we are Cthulhu, and then I'll say something else and you say, open your mind. Okay, all okay. right. And this is a podcast. We are Cthulhu. And it's Cthulhu I compelled compels you to do. You read more? You gotta say, open the mind. Open
2: the mind, damn it. And read more. <laughs> there you go, we
3: did it, Yay! <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, your consumer. Consumer. Okay, gotcha. Now we're done, we got it. We got it. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs>